Almost lost the cup and you win it. The new European champions, the treble, the dream come true for you. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Boot Podcast. I'm Chris Williams. I'm JP Rios. And we're back with more league and Champions League. We have basically didn't talk about any league football last, last week. So let's start with it. Get right into this. Premier League, Tottenham versus Arsenal, North London Derby. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> so, yeah, Tottenham, it's safe to say that they thrashed Arsenal, even though it was only a score of 2-0. Uh, it's safe to say that they thrashed them. Uh, Son and Kane both scored, and I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that they are the two best players in the Premier League right now. What Jose Mourinho has done to convert Harry Kane into – a team player is absolutely insane and Hyungman Son like by and large in my opinion is the best player in the Premier League he has 10 goals now he's only second in scoring behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, who has 11 I believe and he's fourth in assists with 10 I mean this team is just running running away with it not not really like when you look at the standings but I I, I do think that they're going to win the league this year. And this just goes to show how well Tottenham is playing and just how poorly Arsenal's playing. Yeah, I mean, saying Tottenham's going to win the league is kind of risky because they could be like 10 points ahead and still Tottenham. Like they're, you know, but, you know, they might, they might get another trophy. They'll, they'll have two trophies now, an Audi Cup and a Premier League title. That's, that would be huge. But, no, yeah, I mean – Tottenham are far better. I watched the game, and as you said, 2-0, but realistically it could have been worse. There was not much Arsenal did. They didn't look, like, aggressive. They were just, like, on the ball just when they had it. So, I mean, it speaks – yes, Tottenham has been doing really well. We're, nobody's going to deny that. But I think it also, like, Arsenal is in shambles. Yeah. One of the – yeah, I mean, there's – they're what position right now? They're not even... They're 15th. They're 15th. And we thought, like, 10th place last year was bad. 15th is... I mean, it's obviously worse. But, I mean, the thing is, you see them play, they're not necessarily, like, bad. But when they, like, to the crucial moments, that's when they're, like, they just give up. It's, like, it's not the Arsenal. Like, somebody who watched them 2003 is going to be proud of at all. Yeah. Like, it's... So, what do you think is next for Arsenal? As an Arsenal fan, what do they have to do? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily fan. Like, I like Arsenal, but I wouldn't put them at my in in my heart. But somebody who sees them and wants them to do well, I the thing is, Arteta isn't even a bad manager. They're just like they're lacking something. I think it's similar to what United have been struggling in the past years after Ferguson left. Arsenal were in a similar position. They had Wenger, and, like, Wenger was there for years. Maybe not as long as um, Ferguson was, but they need to find their rhythm and maybe trusting in Arteta for a little bit, but they have to bring players like United when they brought in Cavani, like players who have the mentality, who have the ability to, like, put lead by example and put an example on the team. That's, for me, what they'd have to do. But right now, I mean, you can't just hope that they win – they end up top four. You have to like understand it's going to be a process, and this year yeah. might not be the year. But you need to solidify first of all to avoid relegation, which they're not in the relegation battle right now, but they're pretty close. Yeah. So 
I'd say find like trust in the manager if he's doing a decent job. He has to take responsibility where he's wrong, but just slowly but surely like keep working yourself like your way back to the top. But don't ex- that's the other, like the other thing. If you expect it to happen in one season, it's never going to happen, and you're going to be stuck like in the same situation over and over, changing managers every two days. So. Like similar to what Chelsea ended up doing for a little bit, they were sacking managers like every month. Yeah, basically. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd say trust in one manager, but like it's not going to happen on single instant. Yeah, and for me, Arsenal just lacks that creativity uh, going forward, especially like specifically in the midfield. And that brings up my next topic: What's up with Mesut Ozil? What's next for him? I mean, he's been all in the news lately because, I mean, he he was obviously cut from this year's official squad. Uh, He hasn't really played much in the last, like, year or so. Um, What do you think has to happen with him? I mean, we can go over the story about why he's not playing. Um, I'll let you take that away, Mr. Arsenal fan. I mean... I mean, it starts with the, like, his comments about China and, like, their treatment of the Muslim population. Again, like, one of the reasons I forget what the exact name of the people and when the exact region is. But he, yeah, I mean, when you get that political with, like, against China, with when your, like, team has, like, maybe not contracts with them, but, like, the Premier League has. And, I mean, what ended up happening is that they – first, they didn't want to play the – what was it, Arsenal-Man City game? Yeah. And then like, even when they played, like, Arsenal games, they still wouldn't mention Ozil's name. So – and, like, we were reading, there's a – like, in China, they see it much more like the league is in control of, like, the players. So, of course, if a Chinese person is going to see that. And, like, as much as, like, it's a global sport, they do have – we have to realize, like, China is a big market right now for that. So – it does affect the team and does affect them like financially if like people like China or like their broadcasters just don't want to play like Arsenal games. So let's start, we start with that, but then like the pay cut over the summer, like with the coronavirus, he refused to take the pay cut. He didn't want to like, and I understand if you feel like your, like your contribution to the team is not being rewarded and you're like, I don't, and there was like some players here in Mexico who didn't want to take a pay cut because I think they lost a lot of money and they're like, this is my entire livelihood. Like if I take a pay cut, I can like keep on like paying for my house and stuff like that. I understand that. But with the Ozil situation, it's more like it was just him not wanting to take it and just like kind of spinning the face of the club. So as much as I love Ozil, like I do think it would be in the best interest for both parties to just like part ways. I agree. And some interested parties are Fenerbahce, um, a Turkish club, and we all know Mesut Ozil has Turkish descent, so that could be a very reasonable um, like landing spot for him. And then another club that we've seen is DC United, which would be interesting. DC has had some greats over the years, specifically Wayne Rooney. So, um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of players coming over to the MLS to end their careers like that doesn't help our league grow at all um like yeah it gains a little bit more popularity but it really doesn't help them grow because they're already in the end of their careers they're in their decline and everything but with Ozil I think he can still play I think he can fit into any team in the world which is why I'm kind of shocked that Arsenal doesn't play him yeah I understand the political controversy 
and not taking the pay cut and like adapting um, like the rest of his teammates did. But I mean, they could use him right now. And I think you can definitely see that. Yeah, and I agree a little bit with what you said about the MLS. There's a few players that have actually made the jump and like contributed and helped build it. I mean, yeah, Beckham, you have Javinko, Carlos Vela, who came there, who got there when they were still like, I mean, Carlos Vela is still playing. Yeah. But even Cotton, like, came there, just, like, played really well for a bit and then decided to, like, leave. But, yeah, that's it. And Ozil would be – I think, obviously, if we're talking about where he'd probably feel more comfortable, I mean, Turkey would be, like, a no-brainer. I mean, he's basically I, – I don't think he said one of his best men or, like, something like that was Erdogan, like, in his first um, – um, Wedding, that's, yeah, I forgot what that was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he'd obviously feel like at home there, but at the same time, and here's the thing. If you go to the MLS, I understand like the stigma for some players, like it's like a drop in level, which it is right now, but in Turkey, it is a drop in level, but still there's that chance of playing like European football and stuff. So I think for me, if I was in that position as much as, I like personally, I'd prefer to leave, live in like DC than like in Istanbul, even though Istanbul is an incredible city. I think Ozil would rather take Besiktas. No, Besiktas, no, Fenerbahce. Okay, come to Besiktas. That's, that's the one thing that's going through my mind every single time I hear Turkey, but yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But moving on in the Premier League, I'll make this nice and quick. Um, we had United West Ham on the weekend. Um, probably the second biggest game United going into it off of a loss against PSG during the week at Old Trafford. They're just abysmal at home, but they traveled to London and this game actually had fans, which is kind of exciting. I'm not sure if the Arsenal game did. Did they have fans? I'm not sure. Not sure. Yeah. Well, so, Oh, this game was N3. Was it three, one or three, two? I'm thinking of the Southampton game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, United go down early, as they always do. Um, and then we make a substitution at halftime. We bring off Van de Beek and Cavani. And we bring on Bruno and Rashford and eventually Juan Mata. And we just absolutely dominate in the second half. That's kind of been our, the story of our season. Basically, you make two super substitutions and then just take the game um, completely over. Pogba scored one of the most beautiful goals I've seen him score. And we all know how good of a shooter he is, especially from outside the box. And that's what he did first time and pass from Bruno. Curled it right into the the right, um, in between the right post and the keeper's glove. It was absolutely beautiful. And um, yeah, I think Bruno scored and Greenwood scored. So yeah, uh, a great, great result for them. Obviously, they have to fix the problem of perform first half performances. Like, you can't always expect to come back from behind, and you have to compete for the the whole ninety minutes. And they just don't look like they're ever really a threat in the first forty five. But um, yeah, the thing I want to talk about is the whole Pogba situation. So um, before the Champions League game, which we'll get into in a little bit, his agent Mina Rayola, who's basically the super agent in soccer uh who else does he um represent i know 
he did Ebra and Erling Haaland. Yeah, a bunch of high name clients. Um, when Pogba and the rest of United were on the plane ride to Leipzig, uh, he came out and said that uh, basically Pogba's leaving and that United should sell him in January or he'll be leaving for free during the summer. And it's been a whole entire saga of, you know, do, does United treat Pogba right? Is Pogba the problem? Are the managers the problem? And all of this. So what should United do going forward? Do we sell Pogba during January? Do we keep him? Because when he plays, he usually plays well, especially when he plays with Bruno. Like that, that pair in the midfield is kind of unstoppable. Um, so I don't exactly know what to do. So I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. I mean, here's the thing. Pogba came on 2016 after, yeah, after Givens got to the Champions League final against Barca. Uh, like, it's similar to the Messi situation. Uh, not exactly the same as, like, over the summer. And, but I'm, Pogba hasn't been the best when he's played at United. Like, he's not been bad necessarily, but he hasn't been, like, himself. Like, you see him play for France, and he's a whole different player. And I don't know. Like, there's been different managers. I just don't think he's as comfortable as he thought he was going to be in United. I don't think he's, like, unadapted to whatever they're trying to do, like, whatever formation they try, whatever, like, playing style they try, whatever's happening, he's just not getting, like, accustomed to it. And if you're United and you have this player who costs a lot of money and there's a risk of losing him for free over the summer and his agent, and I know, like, sometimes Rayola will just, like, say stuff to get, like, his clients, like, the best contract possible. But if you're, if I'm United, I'm like, okay, like, just sell him at this point. Like, sell him for a fee that recovers and you can, like, build something with it. But, like, I don't – if I was United, I'd, like, look for, like, transfer options over the break, like, right now. Because if not – if he might stay and he might, like, do better. But at the same time, you risk, like, having to just lose him for absolutely nothing and, like, realistically not get anything back. Because I don't think he's done anything, like – spectacular or like worth the fee they paid for him no and i completely agree with that our biggest issues are our center backs and just back four in general basically um so and we have so much talent in the midfield we have bruno donny van de beek juan mata matic scott mctominay and you could even bring in more talent with the money um that we're going to use from Pogba, but I think we have to really invest that money into getting center backs. What, you don't want Harry Maguire leading your team from the back? I don't want Harry Maguire or Victor Lindelof leading my team. But The only thing, uh, the only thing um, Harry Maguire is going to be leading anytime soon is an escape from a Greek prison again. But oh, yeah. that, That's old news. Come on. All right, so... Enough of the Premier League. We'll just run down the standings real quick. So right now, Tottenham's in first with 24 points, but Liverpool is right behind them in second, also with 24 points. But, um, you know, with the stats, goal difference and goals against and all of that, Tottenham leads. Uh, Chelsea's in third uh, with only 22 points. 
Leicester's in fourth, wrapping up the uh, Champions League spots in 21st. Jamie Vardy's having a party once again. Uh, Southampton in the Europa League spot in fifth place, which is kind of it's surprising um, because you never really expect Southampton to be up that high, but they've performed really well like we've seen against United. They have 20 points. United right behind them with 19 points in sixth. Uh, fighting to get into the top five, hopefully the top four, because they're going to need it now that they're out of the Champions League. And uh, City's in seventh with 18. And I think all of that can, besides one and two, can realistically be interchangeable throughout the rest of the season. And now jumping on to the Bundesliga, there's two games that I want to talk about real quick. Uh, the first one being Bayern against Leipzig. It was an incredible game. My like, I was disappointed. Lewandowski didn't just like not get on the scoreboard. He just didn't do that much in the game. But uh, it's a great game, three three. And like looking back to when uh, Leipzig got like promoted to the Bundesliga, they had one of the best games like in league history like ever. It was a five four win for Bayern at like Leipzig Arena, the Red Bull Arena in Leipzig, and. Right now is a 3 3. It was a great game, like back and forth. I think it's um, Leipzig scores first, then Bayern scores two, then Leipzig scores, like to draw it and tie it up. And then, like, Leipzig scores again, and then Bayern scores again, or the other way around. Needless to say, an like, incredible game. Um, Kingsley Coleman again assists three times, twice for Mueller, and then Jamal Musiala, who is an absolute like magnificent player he's probably one of the best like English players in Germany right now he was actually born in Germany but he's like English he's like 17 years old Jamal Musiala he's I was having this conversation with a friend of mine and he was just like going off on like how amazing like he is I'm like every single time he's on the ball he did against he did it against locomotive I'll tell you a little bit about that later but he did against Atletico he looks dangerous he looks like he's going trying to do something and Again, like Bayern trusting like their young players, I, it's, it's beautiful to see. And for Leipzig, it was in Kunku, Kleibert, and Forsberg. Kleibert didn't come out of retirement. This was his kid. Um, he's actually been doing pretty well for himself. Like, I'm not going to lie. He's been doing pretty decently lately. And, yeah, I mean, it was a great game. There was – my friend and I were talking, and he said uh, it was a great game. I'm like – I know it's a great game, but as a Bayern fan, I don't like great games. I just want us to put in, like, kill the game off as soon as you can, win by him what you want, and just, like, finish it off. But, yeah, and, I mean, another news is uh, Joshua Kimmich and Alfonso Davies are back. Thank God. As much as I miss Davies, like, I love Davies, but, like, Bayern need Kimmich. Like, he is, like, essential. And if you see him play, it's just magnificent. I know. Uh, I, I could go on and on about him, but I could also go and, on and on about Joshua Kimmich. Yeah, everybody can. Um, yeah, Leverkusen Schalke. That's the other game I want to talk about. Just quickly, three zero for Leverkusen. It was easy, but this means that with this win, Leverkusen go up to second place. So that's you know, Leverkusen have been good. They usually are good, and they have had very good players. I mean, Stefan Kiesling was one. They had Bern Leno. They had Son came from there. Chicharito. They also had Chicharito. Yeah. That's the best player they've ever had. But now Hideki is their goalkeeper, and there's one play. He saves the penalty. He saves the rebound. And 
on I was talking to somebody and I told him like Herdecki's probably the most exciting player like exciting goalkeeper in the Bundesliga because he'll save a penalty and a rebound one game and then like completely fumble goal kick in the other so you know you never know what you're kind of getting with him but yeah I mean standings Bayern leading with 23 points Leverkusen with 22 Leipzig with 21 and then fourth place the last Champions League place is Dortmund right now in 19. Wolfsburg in fifth place. We haven't heard about Wolfsburg in a while, like playing in Europe. And they have 18. Then Union Berlin, Munich, and Gladbach both have 16 in sixth and seventh, respectively. But I mean, one thing to note about Union Berlin that's um, Loris Karius's new team. So keep an eye out. And it's also interesting that. Mention Gladbach is in seventh, and they have done extremely well in the Champions League uh, this year. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, it happens to a lot of like mid-table teams, or not usually mid-table, but like teams that aren't always like in running for first place. That sometimes they'll just focus on one tournament and like do extremely well, and then just throw the other ones out. But yeah. Yeah, well, transitioning uh, to Spain, we're going to talk about La Liga now real quick. Uh, Real Madrid is in fourth place. Barcelona in ninth place. Um, safe to say they are not um, the powerhouse that they used to be. Uh, they're crumbling on in every single aspect of club management from this squad to management to the president and all the directors and all of that, that the club is just in shambles and there's a lot um, that has to change. And we'll get into that when we discuss them uh, from their Champions League match this week. Um, And the big game this weekend is Real Madrid against Atletico. So it's um, four versus number one. Atletico in first place with 26 points. Uh, Real Madrid has 20 points. So Atletico, if they win, can really... um, seal themselves in that first place position and put it out of reach of Real and of course Barcelona and all the teams in between. Yeah, and I think like here's the thing. Barcelona, we're just clearly talking about Barcelona's last game in Spain. They played against Cadiz. Cadiz is right now in the first place. Still, if you're Barcelona playing against a team like that, like in any other year but this one, you'd be like, that's a no-brainer. Like Barcelona's going to win by like five nil something like that they lost two one the second goal like the first goal is so bad it's a corner kick and then one of their defenders one of their young defenders almost heads it into the back of his own net like almost a diving header into his own net and then i don't remember who was for caddies who just like poked it in there's a known goal then by caddies and then it's a horrible play like off the throw in they like it's a barcelona throw in first of all they throw it to themselves in like they're just horribly positioned. The Cadiz player just like slots it in. Like Barcelona, yeah, we'll get into it later, but they just need to figure something out. But Real Madrid as well. Like the way the league is structured, not everybody's played every single game. Like they're not on the same level. Atletico has played 10 games and they're leading with 26. Real Madrid has 11 and they're like six points behind. So if Atletico wins, which is very possible, because, I mean, yeah, they got absolutely destroyed by Bayern 4-0. And then they tied against Bayern's basically like their youth team. 
Um, but still, they're one of the best, if not the best, defense in Europe. So yeah. if they do, putting like nine points ahead of Real Madrid with um, like one game in hand. Yeah. So. Yeah, and something else I want to point out about La Liga is Real Sociedad is in second, only one point behind Atletico Madrid uh, with 25 points. And I want to give a big shout out. If you're listening, I highly doubt you're listening to this, but Adnan Yanezai, you were once my favorite player. I have too many United jerseys and you are one of them. So, um, yeah, uh, they have some really good talent. Obviously, this was a story from last year. Uh, when they really burst onto the scene with Martin Odegaard on loan and Alexander Isak, and now they have David Silva. So, yeah, that team is really great and some a, a team to really look out for uh, domestically and in Europe. Yeah, I mean, but here's my question. If you're Odegaard, are you, like, regretting going back to Real Madrid right now? I am. So when he was, what was he, 15 when he signed for them or 16? When, when So his list of teams came out, and it was Man United, I think Man United, Juventus, uh, Real Madrid, and then Barcelona. I would have went to any of those teams besides Real Madrid. Uh, that's just kind of a team that I, they, sign, they sign established talent. Like you bring in a Tony Kroos, for example, and you know he's going to play. But you don't sign... If you're a young player, you don't want to sign for Real Madrid. I don't think their academy is that great. Um, if you want to go to a great academy, you go to like Bayern Munich. You can see them bringing in all their youth players right now. And yeah. they eventually uh, progress into the senior team. But yeah, I would absolutely have stayed at uh, Sociedad. Um, I think he probably just thinks he's been in a lot of places thus far in his career while at Real Madrid he's been on loan like what like three or four times maybe even five at like and each was a different club so I think he's just trying to fight for his spot now and I'm pretty sure he realizes that it was the wrong decision to choose Real in the first place yeah and I mean yeah you if for example I mean he's my age if I was like his age when he signed for Real Madrid when was it like 2015 like I yeah, I, my last choice, as long as much as like Real Madrid sounds like a great thing, like teams like Bayern, teams like Dortmund, and in its moment, Barcelona as well, like those are teams that you know you're going to get time to like develop. I mean, if you go to Chelsea and you, you think you're like stuck in like loan spells for the rest of your life until you get out. But like there's teams where you can actually develop. Real Madrid's not one of them. They have had like homegrown talent, but the homegrown talent is like you can count it like in your hand, in the palm of your hand, you can count how many of them were. So, and it's usually Spanish talent. Yeah, and so I mean, Casillas, Guti, you got Raul, but you don't hear about this guy they signed from somewhere else and then like turns into, like, into a star there. Even, what was the Japanese guy's name, Kubo? Yeah, like, I mean, they, Barcelona lost him and they got him, they just sent him on loan as well. So I don't think like they know they're that prepared, but yeah, it's it's gonna be a mess. But going to the Champions League, we're the gonna go through most. Sorry, I had to. Yeah, I was gonna say we can put the the actual little clip of the song, you, but I think that's you don't need it. I did it. It's beautiful. 
Um, let's just go through some of the groups quickly and then talk more in depth about the good games. Byron against Atletico. I'm not against Byron. Atletico are through. Byron beat Moscow. Again, with not the best team they could have fielded. It was a decent game. Moscow really played well. Their goalkeeper was amazing. But Nicolas Sule just scores an incredible header, and then, like, we score again. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good game. Still, like, Byron knew what they were doing. They didn't really care that much at this point. Just as long as they won, they'd be fine. Atletico against Salzburg, that was important. 2-0 for Atletico. So, yeah, I mean, both of them are through. Bayern, like, just lost two points in the entire thing. They still look as one of the favorites for me, favorite in my mind. But Atletico kind of recovered. Like, they show that they don't look that dangerous offensively. And you think, you know, Joao Felix, you got Diego Costa, you got um, Luis Suarez. For me, not that dangerous up top, but I don't know yeah. what you think. I, I agree with that. Like, with the amount of talent they have, it's kind of – they're underperforming, yeah. uh, kind of under un- underwhelming. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, like, you like see it, those names and they should be impressive, but at the same time, like Bayern easily, easily walked yeah. through them. Like, here's the thing. If I'm a striker, I don't want to sign for Atletico. If I'm a defender, I'm like, yes, like I'm going to do, like I'm going to be playing. I talked to somebody, I was like, Simeone is like, dream match is one where his team is locked in for like 90 minutes of the match just getting like a hundred shots against them like they either block it or all black saves it and then like a 94th minute corner kick they score like the winner like that's that's his dream situation so I don't like if we're talking about Atletico lacking offensive like success this season I think it's it's Atletico you're not going to judge them I mean, it's Simeone more than anything. You're going to judge him by what he does, like, defensively rather than offensively. Yeah, and speaking about Atletico's defense, Kieran Trippier is on a Manchester United's Raymar, uh, not Raymar, uh, radar, apparently. So that's kind of exciting. I don't know what you think about that, but we can definitely use some uh, help in all of our defensive roles, especially the fullback position. So I think that would be nice, a nice addition. If I was United, I'd say yes. If I'm Kieran Trippier, I'd be like, I'm playing in one of the best defenses in Europe, and I'm playing, I don't want to leave. So we'll see if there's any way to get that done. So Group E, Real Madrid and Mönchengladbach are through. Um, Real Madrid win 2-0 against Mönchengladbach to make it number one in the group. It's just yeah, it's every a- single time, like, Zidane's job is on the line. <laughs> like, they just pull, out, like, an incredible win. It wasn't even that good of a game. Like, I watched it, and Gladbach just basically rolled over. Yeah, but, and I mean, Benzema just scored two amazing headers. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Benzema doesn't do anything for the full campaign. And then, like, when they're at the edge, like, on the verge of being eliminated, he just scores twice. And I'm like... Don't do this. Yeah, Just either but yeah, it's it was be... pretty. It was pretty exciting too because at the end of the game, uh, Munich Gladbach didn't know that they were through yet. Uh, every single team was alive going into their their games yesterday. Anyone could have realistically went through if their odds were in their favor. 
And um, yeah, Inter and Shakhtar ended up drawing, which sent Mönchengladbach through. And the whole entire squad huddled up around a uh, an iPad directly after the final whistle to watch the uh, the extra time, the stoppage time of Inter and Shakhtar. And you could see when that final whistle blew and they all started jumping up and down and like throwing their water bottles in the air. Like it, it's just really exciting to see a team like that go through and who has been performing extremely well um, this whole entire Champions League campaign. So I'm really happy for them. Yeah, and I think it's really, really exciting and really funny when you see like all those players, like their game is over and they're just like huddled around like a phone or an iPad. They did it last season uh, in Spain's relegation battle. So they, it was um, Celta Vigo against somebody else. I remember like some of the Celta players, it was Yago Aspas, just like, the game's over. They did everything they could. Like, they won, and they, but they needed another result. And somebody's, like, in the stands with their phone, and they just, like, start throwing their, like, stuff, like, everywhere, and they just, like, realize they're, they're still in. But here's what my thing is with Inter and Shakhtar tying. Inter are out of Europe. No Europa League, no nothing. Here's the thing. Lukaku, for me, as much as he's done good for the team, there's two moments that I'm, like, remembering vividly about Lukaku. Last season, deflecting Diego Carlos' like, bicycle kick, which wasn't going in. He deflected into the net. Like, that is a no-goal. It wasn't a goal. Like, it wasn't just a bike, even though Diego Carlos does have that moment tattooed on his cap, just so you know. Um, but the other thing is, Alexis, like, had a header, like, it was going in, and the only reason it didn't is because, like, Lukaku was in the way. So it's not realistically all his fault, but I'm like, if I'm an Inter fan and I just remember those moments, I'm going to be, like, mad. Yeah, well, I mean, I saw the highlights for this game because I watched the Real Madrid game instead. Um, my friend is an, is an Inter fan, and we made a deal. We're like, okay, I'll watch the Real game, you watch Inter, and at the end we'll talk about it. Um, but when I saw the highlights, Inter had so many chances, so many good chances to score. So I wouldn't just put it on Alexis Sanchez on that specific header. He had so many chances, so many headers, and the same with Lukaku and like multiple other players in within in the box. It's not just like they're taking long range shots and just praying that it goes in so they can go through, but they just had so many chances and. I think that does speak to how well Shakhtar has played this Champions League campaign. Uh, I'm kind of sad to see them bow out early because, I mean, we saw them pull off, like, tactical masterclasses against Real Madrid. And to see a Ukrainian team do that, I mean, that's so exciting. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, those are my thoughts on Inter specifically. Now, let's talk about the most exciting group this week. Group C, nobody actually cares. Man City against Porto. Both both win against uh, Marseille and um, what's the other one? Olympia Coast. Nobody really cared. Like, that that group was, like, defined ages ago. Um, Group D, Liverpool and Atalanta are through. Liverpool ties against Michelin, which I very um, badly wrote down. And Atalanta beats Ajax with a late goal by Muriel. Yeah. I'll let you take that one. Yeah, so this was my favorite group of the whole entire uh, group stages. 
I know United was in this, but that was not my favorite group. Um, this was just so exciting to see the talent from three teams, Liverpool, Atalanta, and Ajax. I mean, any team realistically could have gone through Atalanta rising onto the European scene last year in great fashion. And they are still just so, so amazing to watch. Uh, I watched the Atalanta and Ajax game and Atalanta just looked superb throughout the whole entire game. Um, I knew this was just going to be like a tactical masterclass um, watching it because Ajax, you know, renowned for their buildup and their tiki-taka, like one-touch passing, uh, breaking down teams in, to, in order to score. And Atalanta, kind of the same way, very exciting going forward. And Atalanta's defensive structure the whole entire game absolutely shut down Ajax. Ajax couldn't do anything. They tried to go down the wings, shut down. They couldn't build up from the back and play into the midfield because Atalanta's two forwards were just blocking those outlets. So they just played really well. And at the end of the day, they just had the better chances. They created the better chances. They deserved to win. Ajax only had one good chance. Uh, Debbie Klassen, it was, a, it was their best buildup of the game. Tiki Taka, one-touch passing, sent Klassen in on goal. He was right in front of the six-yard box, just him and the keeper to beat, and he shoots it right at the keeper. So Ajax did not deserve to win. And Atalanta is one of my favorites. I'm not going to say to win the Champions League, but maybe to end up in the semifinals. Uh, I'm really excited to see what this team can do. And Liverpool, obviously, I think, a favorite. So now uh, we're just going to go through the next two groups, like kind of quickly. Um, group B, Chelsea against Sevilla. Uh, no, not against, but Chelsea and Sevilla are through. Sevilla wins against Ren. Chelsea ties. Both teams already near their pro, like basically in. So, you know, it's surprising not to see Sevilla in the Europa League where they want to be to win in like every single year. But they should actually like campaign to get like their badges on their shirts. Like, you know, Champions League once you win like four or more Champions League or three, something like that, you get your little badge. They should get that for the Europa League. Sevilla would have six. That would, that would be incredible. Um, Group F, Dortmund against Dortmund Lazio through. Lazio manages to hold on to a draw against Bruges to like to qualify. They needed a draw or a win, and it was a close game. It was 2-2. It was a really good game. I had that on like periodically, and I was like, yeah, this is – yeah, it was a good game. They managed to, like, pull through. Lazio, who, like, it's surprising because Lazio's not a bad team. And you got good, very good players in that team. And, I mean, you got one of the best goal scorers right now in all of Europe with Chiro Mobile. So, it's a good game. And then Dortmund beats NA, honestly. And, again, they were through. Like, it wasn't really that exciting. Um, but now to Group G. So first, we're going to go through the most boring game of that uh, of the week. It was Kiev against Frank Varos. What are you I talking about? Anybody... I'm a big Frank Varos fan. Come on, man. Okay, I forgot. It's and I'm sure Bo Fikens is a huge Dynamo Kiev fan. Yes, he is. He. <laughs> I did ask him for a for Dynamo Kiev jersey. If he can bring it down uh, next time, but Kiev wins one zero. Okay. But, I mean, you can't realistically, like, be like, there's two games. Even if you're a Dynamo Kiev fan, like, the other game had to be, like, the center of your attention. It's Juventus against Barcelona. Well, Barcelona against Juventus, technically. At Camp Nou. 
Messi against Cristiano, one of the biggest, if not the biggest rivalries in the history of the sport. Because some people might say Maradona and Pelé, but they never played together. We're talking about two of the greatest players like to play this game, playing at the same time. And this might be one of the last times we see them play against each other. So, 3-0. It was, here's the thing, Barcelona was disappointing. <laughs> I mean, it's just running around. They, see, they look like headless chickens running around. It's two penalties. Uh, Cristiano takes two, and then Weston McKinney scores like an absolutely incredible like goal by Juventus. Yeah, it's such a um, kick. Yeah, I was. I mean, here's here was the thing. I was talking to a friend. I was watching it with like we watched it together before the game started. I was like, it's Cristiano versus Messi, Pjanic versus Artur, and it's like Serginho just versus Mc, McKinney. And when I saw McKinney scored, I was like oh my dear lord, you're going to lose your mind. But, I mean, the most penalties are obviously penalties. Like, let's start with Barcelona, like, defensively. One of the penalties, I don't remember who it was. He literally just extends his arms. I get it wasn't a big contact, but you're still, like, putting your way, like, you're extending your arms, you're stopping him for a second. That's a clear penalty. Langlet literally puts his hand in to push the ball away in the other one. And in McKinney's, there's like nothing. They literally just let Weston McKinney go into the box completely alone, just scissor it into the back of the net. But yeah, what do you think about the game? Yeah, um, I think exactly what you said. Barcelona just kind of looked helpless, just like they have basically the whole entire, whole entire season. Obviously, they're going to go through on this group, uh, if Kiev or Brankvaros went through instead of Barcelona, I'm pretty sure everyone in that club would be fired. But um, yeah, I just think it was great to see maybe one last hurrah at the club level between Juventus. I mean, not Juventus, between Ronaldo and Messi. Um, you never know what can happen in the World Cup. Uh, that might be the the last time they see each other we'll see how that plays out but yeah I, I I'm a, a big believer that Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player of this generation I think he's better than Messi they're two very different players uh, but yeah and I think he really demonstrated this once again um, that he's basically dominated this rivalry and he will continue to do so and he's on my Mount Rushmore of football legends. I think like an important thing there, like both of them are extremely good. Like both of them are going to be remembered as probably the best players in the world, if or one of the best. But I think, and I saw this the other day, and it, it is like slightly true. Messi sometimes just gives up halfway through a game, and he like as good as he is and as naturally talented and as, like, as good of a player as he can be, he sometimes doesn't lead by example. He's not like the leader you sometimes need on the field. Cristiano never, I've never seen him give up. Like his team can be like down as much as you want. If he was on the field in that A2 Bayern against Barcelona, I'm not saying Barcelona would have won. I'm just saying they would have looked competent throughout the game. Yeah, this I mean, like, thing, yeah, look at, when he wasn't on the field in the Euros, he came off injured, was in the, in the final against France. And he's coaching on the sideline. 
Like, this man never, ever, ever gives up. And, yeah, exactly with what you've been saying. And also, you have to take into account, he's older than Messi, and he still looks like I've never seen him drop in his level. And Messi is at some seasons that he goes up and down. This season has really not been the best for him. Cristiano's still, like, as high at the level as he can. So, I mean, I still wouldn't put him as a number one player right now just because Lewandowski is still, in my opinion, this year and this season, he's been, like, on top. But definitely, like, I think we're seeing that you might argue, you know, Messi's better, Cristiano's better, but at least the one consensus, I think Cristiano has more longevity than Messi has. And, like, staying at his, like, peak. Because he's invested so much into, like, being able to play as long as he can and as good to the level as he can. So that also might not mean that it's not the last time we see them play against each other. So we, one can only hope. But Yeah, and uh, like, b- before we move on to Group H and the rest of the Champions League, um, let's talk about Barcelona's financial crisis right now. So we're, like, we've been foreshadowing this whole entire episode Barcelona is in shambles like and it's something you would never thought would happen um like the Giants have basically been slain they are really struggling and they're struggling financially and that means that some players might have to leave and be transferred and one of those names that came out today I think is Frankie de Jong who I believe just recently signed a contract with them. Um, I remember after one of their Champions League games, they came out and signed four players directly after it. Um, And I spoke about that on the podcast. I don't know which episode that was or when it was, but he was one of those names that was re-signed. And now the big talk is that he's looking to be transferred to Bayern Munich. Um, So what are your thoughts on this? First of all, I love that as a Bayern fan. I'm like, plays like we need more good like midfielders because I mean Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka are probably going to be starting like for a long time but at the same time you have to take into account if one of them gets hurt like Kimmich did like you need somebody to back up and also like Bayern play a lot so there's always like opportunities for a lot of players to be starting and to be playing so I think if I'm Frankie like it wouldn't be the worst decision it's not like you're going to be benched like every single day but I mean, here's the thing. Bartomeu, he got there in 2014. He should have resigned, honestly, after they won the treble and just left because he's left the team. Like, I am not a Barca fan at all. I have two Barcelona jerseys because for the collection. One when I went there in, like, 2010 and my bracelet one. I don't have anything else for Barcelona. Still, I feel bad for them. Like, Bartomeu ran the club to the ground. He started wasting money in players he didn't need, players who never, like, and I understand if you spend $100 million on the player, he doesn't turn out to be the player you wanted him to be. Okay, just stop doing that. Just go back to the, like, system you had before. Focus on La Masia. Focus on, like, developing your players. That's what Barcelona does. And he decided, like, even when you're seeing, like, the team not play a 4-3-3. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I understand every manager might have his own opinion, but it's Barcelona. You have to play a 4-3-3. Like, that's just one of the examples. And they put money in the wrong places. And right now they're like, that's like the consequence if you're not getting like, you don't know what you're doing in the business side of things. I mean, look at Bayern. They got one of the best players of this, like in the past few years, probably the best striker in like the world for the past few years. They got him for free. They paid like almost nothing for all their players. I think 
the highest like they paid for a player was Lucas Hernandez, and he got hurt, and now he's coming back and he's playing like out of his mind. So I think that's the thing. Barcelona has been spending like crazy, and they haven't had anything to like back it up. So yeah, yeah I mean, realistically, yeah, you have to sell players, and yeah, I don't Cruyff. think. You yeah, Johan Cruyff is definitely yeah. rolling over in his grave right now at the thought of what's happening in Barcelona. And this is a conspiracy theory. This is not going to happen. But just imagine, okay? Manchester United sells Paul Pogba to Barcelona. He wants to go to Spain. We all know that. He wants, he's talked about Real Madrid. I think he's also talked about Barcelona in the past. Okay? We sold him to Barcelona. We get Frankie de Jong in return, and you get Frankie de Jong, Donny van de Beek, the two Ajax greats playing in the midfield together with Bruno Fernandes in front of them. I'm just saying. That's not going to happen, Question. but imagine. Question, two questions in that theory. One, are you also signing Matthias Alight from uh, Juve? And follow-up question, do you think Barcelona has the money to do that? I mean, well, unless isn't, isn't Matthias Delic? I'm pretty sure he's on the transfer block right now, isn't he? I, I think Juventus is actually looking to move him. It might just be a loan, though. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to the other group while you are still figuring out if your, uh, <laughs> the, your IX reunion will happen or not. <laughs> um, so Group H, to keep on talking about United, you can talk about United again. So. Yeah, I'll just make this really quick. So we put up a terrible – well, not, not, it wasn't a terrible performance against PSG last week. It was a pretty good performance, but all we had to do going into this week was not lose. And that's exactly how Ali went into the game. He, we played probably the worst team that we could have put out for this game because all Ollie wanted to do was not lose. He didn't care if we won. He didn't care if we drew. He just wanted to not lose. And in my opinion, that's never how you should play a game of football in your life. That's not the mentality you should go in with. You should always be playing to win. Always, 100%. Even if you're up 2-0 at halftime, you go out, you don't park the bus, you keep playing. And uh, it didn't pay off. Um, Angelino scored, I think, in the fourth minute. And then um, he assisted another goal a couple minutes later. And um, Leipzig scored another goal. Um, but that was offsides. But, I mean, it would have been 3-0 going into halftime. Yeah, and what's up? I think Angelino also assisted the one that was offside. Yeah. Yeah, he had an incredible game. But, yeah, we just did not play the right team. We played Luke Shaw. Um, we played like five at the back. And I'm not a big fan of that. We played Luke Shaw, Alex Tellez, and Aaron Wambasaka all together. Like, that's just not going to work. But then he brings in uh, all his substitutes at halftime. And then United get rolling. Um, we get back into it. Pogba scores a header. Um, Bruno scored a penalty. And Bruno could have scored... Um, a free kick and hit the crossbar. So it would have been 3-3. Three, three, three. Oh, I forgot to mention. Um, Kloivert scored on a terrible... It, it was a terrible goal. It was absolutely 
disgraceful from a United standpoint. The ball's crossed in from the left side of the box. Harry Maguire watches it. And David De Gea obviously thinks that Maguire's going to get it. And Maguire thinks that De Gea is going to get it. And Kluivert just taps it in. Um, so that's another piece of evidence on why I think Harry Maguire should be sold. Um, but yeah, it could have been 3-3. Um, a little harsh to see United go out like this, but it's not more than they deserved in this game. They, if, you, if they would have went in with a different mentality, I would have been like, okay, they tried. But they didn't try for the first half, and they got what they deserved. Um, yeah, pretty much agree with everything with that. I, I, I watched parts of the game. Uh, I, watched, I was watching the Juve Barca one. But so another, the other game that happened that, well, was supposed to happen that day, PSG against Istanbul Besiktas ends up being a 5-1 victory for PSG. Uh, Neymar scores a hat-trick, Mbappe scores two. Nobody's going to remember that. Absolutely nobody's going to care. What actually matters is it got canceled. Like the first, like on Tuesday, it got canceled. And I don't... So basically, if I get, I'm getting it right. Um, there's a clash between Kempembe and I don't know. And the referee's asking who he's supposed to give a red card, right? Something like that? Yeah, and they're the, the fourth. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. And the fourth official said, I think it was like he said, like the black one out of the two players. And that's when Dembaba loses it. And he just starts, like, asking why he was, like, referring him to the, like, that way. And then, like... Yeah, it wasn't Dembaba. So there was an, uh, there was an assistant coach for Versace. And he is... Um, he's black. And uh, the word for black in Romanian... Though the whole entire officiating team is Romanian. The word for black in Romanian is negro. Kind of like Spanish. And like other romance languages. Um, and the referee called him out and he's, he said that, like the black one. And obviously he racially profiled him. And there's just no room for that at all. There's no need for that at all. And Dembaba then came in and started making these comments. And he's like, why why'd you feel the need to racially profile him? If it was a white person, you wouldn't have said the white one. If it was someone else, you wouldn't have said that. You just would have said, oh, him. Like, uh, so I, I, I do – I don't think it was with malicious intent, but was it racist? Absolutely. And there's no need for that. And I think both teams did the right thing um, out of solidarity, both uh, choosing to abandon the game and go into the locker room. And I think, like, here's the – and there was, like, a few talks, like, when Luis Suarez did the same thing against Patrice Abra. And I understand in some places, like, stuff like that isn't as big of a deal. But if you're a referee at, like, for UEFA, doing – refereeing a Champions League game, like, PSG, Istanbul, like, you know this is going to be everywhere. You need to understand you can't say those things. Like, you might say those things, like, behind closed doors and nobody can control it. But if you're at that point, like, you can't, like, like, 
all the campaigns that WAFA and other like organizations have done against racism, you can't just have your referees. And it's even worse like that. Like I know players and I know like who played with me and they're like, just be the most like disrespectful person you can to your opponent. And at the end of the game, you go and shake their hands and be like, it's all like to get in their head. But if the referee is doing that, that's absolutely like, that can't happen. And yeah, I agree. They did the right choice, the right decision. At the same time, it was still nil-nil. So I don't think like either of both teams were like, this is going to be like a big hit on us, which is also, I think, always plays into a little bit into account. And it's also like, you knew like SMO was out and everything. So, but I think they did like the right thing. And then uh, ah, next day, Istanbul gets absolutely run over. But yeah, I, yeah, there's no place for that. Um, so that's the entire Champions League. The Champions League draw for the knockout stages is on Monday at the UEFA HQ in Switzerland, in Nyon, 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 I don't know. And it's at 11 a.m. Um, European time. Uh, I do, I'm aware there's a lot of European times, but um, let's it's just say 6 a.m. Eastern. There you go. And Europa League, it's uh, for the round of 32. God, that's a lot. Um, it's uh, 7 a.m. Eastern, Monday, uh, December 14th. So you want to talk a little bit about the UEFA uh, Europa League? Sorry. Yeah, so there are a lot of really good teams in the Europa League this year. So I'm on. I'm a part of a lot of like Man United uh, fan accounts on Twitter and fan channels like on YouTube and stuff. And everyone's like, oh, the Europa League, it's a joke. Not going to watch that at all. Just play the under-23s. Uh, play, the, play the youth. And we'll just focus on the Premier League. But there are some really good teams. Like you have Tottenham. You have AC Milan. Leicester. Ajax. Arsenal, Roma, uh, Shakhtar, and Real Sociedad. Like, that is some quality competition there for United. So, I actually think the Europa League is going to be pretty exciting. Um, obviously, I wouldn't watch the Europa League over the Champions League, but I think it's going to be really exciting. And I think, um, you know, people should turn on their TVs on Thursdays and watch it uh, 100%. It's going to be really exciting. I mean, here's the thing, just quickly with some of the teams, we're talking about Milan, we're talking about, well, I mean, Leicester's always been decent, like, since 2016. But we're talking about Roma, we're talking about uh, Milan, and we're talking about Real Sociedad. We're talking about teams right now at the top of their tables. Milan's leading, Roma's really well. It's just like last season, they didn't have the best season. They ended up in the Europa League instead of the Champions League. But now you have, like, top-level competitions. Like, last season when Inter was playing the Europa League, Sure, like the Europa League isn't the Champions League, but you're still having these teams that that season are having a great season back home and are doing the same thing. So I, my favorite still for this is going to be Milan, no doubt about it. My favorite to win Serie A as well right now, but we'll see. So coming up, there's one big game you want to talk about quickly before we go too long. Yeah, um, big game this weekend, Manchester Derby. Uh, City against United. Um, the big thing I just want to talk about, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer's job is 100% on the line this game. Um, and it's it's tough that this is the game that is probably going to decide whether 
he will remain Manchester United's manager. But it's 100% on the line. They have, haven't have been performing well under him. Um, I am of the school of thought that he should remain for the whole entire season. And then we go into the transfer window. And we, the club finally backed him this week and said, we will buy whoever he wants to buy. We'll move whoever he wants to move in the summer. So I'm of the school of thought that keep him. And then we'll see what happens in the summer. Maybe he can finally sign the players who he wants because we all know he didn't get to do that at all this summer. Um, So I do think that United is going to get a win. Um, We've talked about this before on here. And I said, there's no way United's going to beat City. But it's kind of like the Zidane thing. When their jobs are on the line, they're going to find a way to win. So I do think that they're going to perform for the manager. Um, I don't think that they necessarily deserve to win, but I do think that's what's going to happen. And it's the Manchester Derby, so obviously it's going to be an exciting one. Yeah, and I mean, you're also facing off against Guardiola, which Guardiola, if there's one thing he knows how to do, is overcomplicate any situation, just lose. Um, But yeah, it's going to be interesting. So like the last two games we're going to talk a little bit and by a little bit just mention when they're going to happen. Um, we did it last uh, last week. MLS, we have the MLS Cup Final on Saturday. Um, Saturday the 12th at 7.30. It's Columbus Crew against Seattle Sounders. Um, we'll see how that happens. If you do have time, just look at uh, Columbus's crew, like their goal against the England Revolution. It's a work of art. They put in the ball from one side of the field to the like to the right side of the box. Guy takes it down with one single pass and like first time shot. It was an amazing goal. Um, and yeah, and to close it off, Liga MX, the final is known against Pumas. Uh, it's the first final is today on Thursday and then on Sunday. Just gonna go off a little bit. I do not understand how Cruz Azul managed to lose. They were winning by 4-0, okay? They had the first leg was 4-0. They lost 4-0 the second leg. And because of positioning on the table, Pumas are through. Okay, I was sad and devastated. And they do this every single day. Every single year, they, like, here's the thing. Okay, if you're a mid-table team, you don't have any expectations. You don't have hope for your team. You're like, okay, we're going to lose. Like, cities chant before. Like, we never win at home. We never win away. We lost last week and we lost today. Like, it's fine, you know? No, these guys give you hope, and that's worse. But, uh, yeah, I just need to say that. Uh, but, no, it's going to be – there's two, there are two good teams, uh, Thursday and Friday. So – and Sunday, sorry. Um, yeah, we have two finals because we're that kind of people. But, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything we have to talk about this week. Yeah, and so – no more Champions League to look forward to, but some exciting games uh, this weekend to definitely definitely have your eyes on. But yeah, yeah, as always, thanks once again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I've been Chris Williams. I'm JP Rios. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care.